Today, the NFL and my grandma have something in common. Glitchy video calls. This is Warming the Bench. Like Rob Gronkowski, we are back. This is Warming the Bench. I am your host, Dan Tran, and we have a special NFL draft show for you. We got one of the best sports writers in New York City with us to give you the lowdown on what the Giants and Jets may do and play a little game of Pro Bowl starter bench with this year's draftees. But first, let's talk about what's happening in Tampa Bay. In what amounts to a giant middle finger to Bill Belichick, Rob Gronkowski is back in football and playing with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. He left a cushy gig with the WWE, though he still holds the 24-7 belt, and will now be pummeled by 300-pound men without the protection of a script. After the Patriots won Super Bowl 53, we asked whether Gronk should retire. More than half of you believed he should have because he's already one of the best tight ends ever and didn't need to prove anything else. But now with a chance to play with his friend and no longer under the harsh eye of Belichick, Mr. Yo Soy Fiesta is back. We also asked if the Patriots made a mistake by letting Brady walk in free agency, and over 53% of you thought New England did the wrong thing. And it's not hard to see the logic. We're talking about the GOAT here, a six-time Super Bowl winner who was maybe one good receiver away from going to another championship game. And we have a guest here to talk about that and more. All right, joining the podcast now is a writer for the New York Daily News. He covers the Giants and the Jets. Welcome to the show, Charles McDonald. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing good, you know, just like most people, just kind of sitting inside and waiting for a social distancing phase to end, which doesn't seem anytime soon. But other than that, you know, doing great. The draft is uh, this week on Thursday, which is tomorrow because we're recording this on Wednesday. So uh, at least there's something to look forward to in the football world. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm here in like suburban America. So I would like social distancing to end so I can get back to New York <laughs> <laughs> and uh, enjoy the fruits of uh, New York City. We're supposed to be talking about the draft first, but then there was that news that happened a couple days ago. We're talking Brady, we're talking Gronkowski reuniting in Tampa Bay, and that has been the headlines that have been dominating, even though the draft is upon us. I mean, here's some stats that I dug up from 538, Charles. Tom Brady threw 78 touchdowns to Gronk, almost more than 40 than he had thrown to any other player, the second being Randy Moss, fifth highest touchdown combo in NFL history. And he has a 121.6 passer rating when throwing to Gronk and 90 to other receivers. I read something from you, actually, when this trade went down that it might not work out for the Buccaneers. Now, why is that? Well, I mean, we're not getting, and I, I think most people understand this, but we're not getting like the prime versions of uh, of Brady and Gronk. I mean, maybe the gear off uh, for Gronkowski helped him get back because if you look even just like pro football focuses grading method, he really only had one down year for them. And that was the year they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl two seasons ago. So maybe a year off helps him, but I'm just kind of, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word, but I, I guess tempered expectations for Brady in this new look with the Buccaneers. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to be 43 at the start of the season. There's not going to be from the looks of it, not going to be any training camp anytime soon. So you're, you're kind of delaying the on-field work that you're going to get in with your new teammates and learning plays and stuff like that. And if you just look at it historically, Bruce Arians 
the Bucks coach hasn't really used tight ends at all in his offense. I mean, we saw OJ Howard become a complete non-factor this year after he looked like in 2018, he was going to be one of the next great tight ends in the NFL. So you go back to his time as the head coach for the Cardinals, tight ends just don't really produce. And like we saw, like I just said last year, a talented one in OJ Howard, not really do anything. Maybe, maybe that changes with the familiarity between Brady and Gronk. And I mean, they've been posting about it on social media a bunch, but I get why if I was a Bucks fan, I'd be excited because, hey, when we got Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on paper, that looks like a pretty damn fire offense. But it just kind of feels like, you know, like when you see the memes of like, they'll show Scotty Pippen in a Rockets jersey or whatever. Like, it just kind of feels like, <laughs> like you got these two stars that are a little bit over the hill and now they're just kind of playing out the end of it with the new team. My favorite out of place star uh, meme that I think I've seen is Olajuwon in a Raptors jersey. Oh yeah, the old Raptors jersey. <laughs> like he was on that first team. I don't think anybody really realizes that in his twilight years he played for the Raptors. But back to football. What well, kind of back to football? I think the highest priority question that we have to ask ourselves when Gronk goes to a new team or is back in the NFL: What's going to happen to that WWE twenty four seven belt? I don't know. Like, what's going to happen to WWE in general? I mean, <laughs> Vince McMahon, I think he cut a bunch of employees last week, and this is after he had, a, you know, nixed the XFL, too. So maybe just by WWE disintegrating a little bit, Gronk's title will be safe. But I thought it was funny that I don't remember who said it, but someone involved with the WWE said that, you know, at any time Gronk could have to uh, defend his title. I don't know if, if, like, they would actually pull it during the season, but I do think it's funny, like, the idea of Gronkowski playing a football game and scoring touchdowns, then immediately going to a WWE match to defend his 24 seven title. Uh, <laughs> so I, I kind of hope that plays out, but I'm, I don't really know. Like if WWE just kind of disintegrates and that title will be safe forever. All right. More likely to hold the WWE 24 seven title, Tom Brady or Chris Godwin. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Brady. I mean, anyone crazy enough to play professional football at 43 years old, it's not someone that I want to see in any ring, whether it's scripted or not. So I'm going to go with Brady. <laughs> Good call. I mean, never, never underestimate the old white man. Oh yeah. Yeah. We see that right now. Uh, what's going on in the, in the country. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So second question. So Gronk comes back from retirement and he only comes back to retirement. Once his buddy, Tom Brady leaves the Patriots. How sick of Belichick was Gronk to retire and then immediately come back? I I think it says a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, it's worth it because you win a lot of games. And I think Gronk has three Super Bowl rings. I don't I think he only participated in two of them, but he has three rings like over the time that he was there. So you do a lot of winning, but at the same time, the amount of preparation and focus it takes for someone like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady to be great for two decades, that's not the style for everybody. And it works. And they win a lot and it's annoying, but it's not something that, you know, every personality type can step into. So Gronk did his seven or eight years. And I remember when he retired last year, it was jarring to watch because it was one of the few times that I'd seen Gronk show real emotion was he started crying about how his love for the game had been diminished. And it makes sense. Like when you hear about how strict the Patriots are and how it's just all business and no feels until, you know, you start dealing with this Brady stuff. We all see Gronk's personality. We can see how that weighs on him and we can see how you pair that with the injuries. It probably just wasn't that much fun for him anymore. And 
now the idea of playing with Bruce Arians and, and reuniting with his buddy and Brady with a different team. And I mean, Arians is a guy who's very exuberant, very fun. He's got the most diverse staff in the entire league. It's a big culture change from what the Patriots are doing. I definitely think that that's a factor, a bit of Belichick fatigue on Gronk's part, because as soon as Brady left to Tampa Bay, Gronk was like, oh, I want to be a part of that too, because if he, if he can find the joy in football again, I think that matters a lot for him. That's true. And now looking back at after the seasons that he was with the Pats and the crazy stuff he would do, Vegas and everything, now you kind of see why he probably did that. It is because he was he felt so suppressed in that Patriot system that when he came away from it, he it just exploded in this party kind of style that we all saw. And we love him for, uh, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Gronk, uh, but that's not something that really flies with Belichick. So he made his money. He made a lot of money. Like I said, he got his rings, and then he got out and got to have a year of fun, and maybe he can be a, a plus contributor for, for the Buccaneers this year. Like, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think that Gronk doesn't make this move if he's not excited about the prospect of playing for a different coach. Like, I, I don't think that, especially with Brady not being there in, in New England, I just don't think that there's any situation where he would have gone back to play in a rigid environment like that after just having so much fun for a year. Yeah, that's true. Now, if if you don't follow Charles on Twitter, he's a great Twitter follow. Follow him at 4Verts. He is a huge uh, breaker of tape, and he really breaks down and analyzes everything. And, I mean, watching Brady make his transition from at 43 years old to a new offense, to this new situation that he's in, we saw Peyton Manning kind of do something very similar when he went to Denver. Do you see that happening with Brady at Tampa Bay? I don't, I don't know if I do because the thing with Peyton in that transition was it's not like, like the last time we saw Peyton in a Colts uniform, it's not like he was bad. He was just hurt. And Brady, as much as the, you know, you can make excuses about the offensive line and the receivers, and certainly they weren't up to the Patriot standard that we had gotten accustomed to. But outside of that, it's not like he was a very great quarterback. I mean, he finished in the 20s in terms of yards per attempt. And, you know, if, if we're talking about someone who is supposed to be great, and he he has been, obviously, like you would expect a little bit more than that. And I think coming off of a 42-year-old season is like by far his worst in the league since he was like a rookie. I think that that's a little bit concerning. but it's a huge boost in supporting cast. I mean, you, you look at all these slot receivers that Chris got that, uh, that Tom Brady has played with and Chris Godwin is probably the most talented. And just in terms of pure athletic talent, he's more talented than Edelman, Welker, Amendola, all those guys. So that'll help. He hasn't had an outside threat. Mike Evans, since he was playing with Randy Moss. I mean, if there was a situation where this could work, I think that those two guys, Godwin and Evans can kind of carry the bus for him a little bit. But it just feels different than when Peyton was coming back from his neck injury when he joined the Broncos, because it was kind of like if, if Peyton is healthy, then this thing is going to ignite. And they did because they had like the best offense in NFL history in 2013. I just don't know if Brady is still capable of playing to that level week in and week out. Like you'll probably see moments of it where you see, you know, for a drive or a quarter, maybe even a full game, you see, oh, there's the greatness of Tom Brady. That's what we've gotten used to. But the older you get, the harder it gets to kind of pull that out of you whenever you need it. So I, I, that's the only thing I'm a little bit afraid of for the Bucks this year. Gotcha, gotcha. And speaking of the Bucks, with with the Patriots' seventh round draft pick uh, unofficially, 
and with Gronkowski now, has that trade changed anything uh, for the Bucks uh, in, in terms of the draft? Yeah, I, I mean, for Tampa Bay, it just I, I think all they need to do is just if you can just find a tackle. That's like the one weak spot on their offense. Outside of that and running back, their offensive tackles aren't that great. They're pretty set on the inside. Like Ali Marpet's one of the better guards in the league. They signed Donovan Smith at left tackle. He's not great, but the contract's there, so you can't really do much about it. Like I think that the Bucks in the first round, I think that they're legit players to trade up and try to get one of these tackles. I mean, there's four offensive tackles in the draft. Tristan Wirth from Iowa, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, and Makai Becton from Louisville. Like all these guys look like they can be franchise offensive linemen moving forward. So if you can get trade up and and maybe trade into the top 10, I think they have the 12th or the 14th pick. Like if you can just hop up in the top 10 and grab one of those guys, and now like your offense looks like a juggernaut. If, if Brady can summon up that that old Brady enough, like that offense should be an absolute powerhouse. And for the Patriots, this is kind of a soul searching year for them. At quarterback, I guess they're going to roll with Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham. We've talked about Cam Newton being the uh, possible addition there, but they don't really have the cap space to do that. Even with getting Bronx contract off the books, they still have less than $12 million in cap space. That's not enough to sign someone like Cam Newton. It's really not even enough to sign someone like James Winston. So they're kind of stuck at quarterback for the for the time being, but maybe they can just pull something out of their ass and make Jalen Hurts the next great dual effect quarterback in the NFL because that would just be peak Patriots. But they, they got to find a young quarterback in the draft. I think they need to obviously find another tight end and, and some offensive line upgrades. But it, it's just kind of weird that it's a real rebuilding year for the Patriots. But I think that they should still be probably favorites to win that division or at least second place of Buffalo. So it's like they're down, but they're not truly away. And it's just, it's frustrating as a, as a Falcons fan, especially. <laughs> so he's still not believing in Josh Allen yet, huh? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not there. I don't, I don't care what any, what any crazy bills fans say to me. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's good. And that like that defense carried them last year. So if any bills fans are coming at me, I'll just mute you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's, what's new, you know, <laughs> it, seems, yeah. it seems anytime Josh Allen gets under fire, all the Bills Mafia goes after that one person. It's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. I don't know really what they see in Josh Allen other than he's big and he can run, right? Yeah, he's our quarterback. We draft him the top ten, so we have to defend him until we are absolutely sure he sucks. Like it's just tribalism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about uh, what the Patriots could do. Are you are you really not sold on Jason Stidham? Because it seems like the Patriots are like all in on him. Look, so I cover the Jets. I watched Jared Stidham in a game where the Patriots were up. I want to say at the time the score was 33-7 to in the third quarter. And Brady got pulled. They put Stidham in. They're going to let Stidham finish the game. Stidham comes out of the offense, throws a pick six to Jamal Adams, gets pulled right back out of the game, like 30, down 33-14. to uh, So... <laughs> Like, they say that they have a lot of faith in him, but they didn't even let him finish out a blowout game in, like, week three. So I don't really know what to make of that. I don't think that, like, you can bank on that working out. Like, I think, to me, they're just kind of saying that, yeah, we like Stidham because we don't have any other real options. Maybe they pull out a surprise on Thursday, and if Tua starts falling from Alabama in the draft, then maybe they can use that extra fourth rounder to go get him. But it's just kind of weird. Like they don't have a real answer at quarterback as things stand right now, but you know, there's still a lot, a long way to go before the season starts or if the season ever starts. So, you know, it it wouldn't be surprised to see that that team specifically figure out some answer at quarterback. 
And it's Bill Belichick, man. I feel like that guy just right. has some sort of magic. He like either goes to a shaman or I don't know, because like everything this guy touches in terms of maximizing players, he just does it. Yeah, and I mean, even if you go back to the 2016 season where Brady was suspended for the first four games, they won two or three games with Jacoby Brissett as a rookie. Brissett, like, he couldn't even throw the ball. Like, I remember they played that Thursday night game against the Houston Texans that year, and Brissett was pretty much running, like, a high school wing T offense where they were just, like, running ball fakes the entire game, and they blew the Texans out. So if there's anyone that can figure it out, it's Bill Belichick because – you know, we, we look at him as a defensive coach, but he's also one of the best offensive minds in the game, too, quietly. I mean, he's I think in 2010, Brady or Belichick called the plays, and that was one of Brady's best years. Like, the dude is just a machine. So if anyone can figure it out, it's definitely Bill Belichick. Yeah, that's true. Now let's go to your neck of the woods, all right? Let's talk about the Giants. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, my beat, I guess. <laughs> all right, 2019, you come in September 2019. The team is injured, to say the least. I mean, we've got Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones goes down at some point. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, offensive line, riddled. They go on a nine-game losing streak, their longest losing streak since 1976. Go off on a high note, Eli Manning winning week, week 15, his last game at MetLife, and he retires. What are the biggest things Giants fans should be taking away from this season? This team is still pretty far away from being good, but... I do think that there's some promise on offense. I mean, I was not a big Daniel Jones fan coming out of the draft, and I think that he at least showed that he's a starting quarterback in the league. I don't know how high the ceiling is on him because it's not like he's a guy that has great physical attributes. He'll sling it in there and and try to make plays. Maybe his arm talent says he shouldn't, but you at least have a starting quarterback that won't sink the ship for you, which as a rookie quarterback, that's fine. Like He's got to clean up some fumble issues, but... For the most part, it was a pretty decent rookie year for Daniel Jones. The defense is still really far away. So I like you kind of have two strategies to come into the draft. Like, do we just go all in on offense and rebuild the offensive line and just give Daniel Jones whatever he needs to go outscore other teams? Or do we kind of continue what we did in free agency and invest in the defense? And that's their big dilemma for the draft. And I think that Giants fans should feel good about having a nice little core on offense. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, if he can get healthy. Darius Slayton was a stud as a rookie receiver this past year. Golden Tate should be on the team for at least one more season. They got some pieces to score the ball. It's just, one, how are they going to mesh with this new coaching staff? They got Jason Garrett calling the plays with Joe Judge, kind of overseeing everything. And then, two, how much better can the defense actually get? Because they came into the offseason needing really everything on defense. It, to me, at least, the only positive thing they really did was sign James Bradbury from Carolina. So you got a cornerback and you still need pass rushers. So it's not a great year to need a pass rusher. Like they just missed out on Chase Young by winning some games at the end of the season. But they're still in a good position to get better on offense, which might be more important for them anyways. Yeah, you're talking about position in the draft. I mean, they got big draft needs and they're pretty clear for the Giants at number four. It seems like they can use a 6'3", 238-pound linebacker with a 39-inch vert and 4.340 who can cover and rush, don't you think? Yeah, I think that they could definitely use that. But from what I've gathered, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the direction that they go in. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think they're going to stick and try to upgrade that offensive line. Which, you know, you spent the number six pick on a quarterback last year. As good as Isaiah Simmons is, protecting your investment is never really a bad idea. Oh, of course not. But it seems like a generational talent when it comes to the linebacker position in Isaiah Simmons. 
I'm sure a lot of Giants fans are expecting that the organization will go that direction just because he probably will be one of the best athletes in the draft. Can you sell the fans on the fact that you think they are going with an offensive tackle instead of Isaiah Simmons? For the fans, it should be a pretty easy sell. Because, I mean, there's like three guys where you can draft where you can't get it wrong. And to me, that's Andrew Thomas, the left top from Georgia, Tristan Wirfs, the right top from Iowa, and then Jedrick Wolf, the right top from Alabama. It, they're the guys that you draft and forget that they're there in a good way on offense. Makai Becton, he's the pure upside pick, 6'7", 365 pounds, but can move like someone who weighs 50 pounds less than him. I mean, he's an absolute freak athlete, but you kind of have to be concerned about the weight a little bit. thing with Simmons is Simmons is such a, a unique player. And I remember at the Combine, he compared himself to Tyron Matthew, the Chiefs kind of do-it-all player in their secondary. And when you look at how Simmons was used at Clemson compared to how Matthews used throughout his career. It's actually a very similar percentage of splits in terms of snaps in the slot, snaps rushing the passer off the edge, linebacker. Like they do play pretty similar roles, but it takes a creative defensive mind to kind of figure that out. And not every team is equipped to maximize talent like that. Like as silly as it sounds, Brett Venables, Clemson's defensive coordinator, is a lot brighter than a lot of the defensive coaches you're going to see in the NFL. So I think that Isaiah Simmons could come in and just be like, if you just want to play him at safety or you just want to play him at linebacker, he could do both of those things pretty well, but you don't get the full experience with him unless you're using him like you were with Clemson. And I just don't think that a lot of NFL coaches are ready for that challenge. So it may seem like a bit of a lame pick for Giants fans, but you got to understand as good as Simmons is like these offensive tackles are just as good as what they do. So it's not even like you're getting a lesser player. You're just getting a less sexy pick. Yeah, that's true. Nobody has really cheered an offensive line pick, to be honest with you. Like other than maybe in recent memory, like and this goes really far back to Brickershaw Ferguson. That is like mm-hmm. maybe the, the last time I think I've heard like a roar in New York city for an offensive lineman. Um, speaking of DeBrickershaw, let's go on to the jets. So they came into last season with some hype. They got Sam Darnold, uh, Le'Veon Bell, and crazy-eyed Adam Gase really lit the internet on fire, so people like really got behind them. And they improved, actually. So they had a 4-12 and record in 2018, and then they improved to 7-9 and in 2019. But Bell was stuck behind a line that couldn't block for him, and a quarterback that wasn't big play threat enough to open up that front seven. So they were 31st in rushing yards. After the 2019 season... What should the Jets fans be excited about coming into 2020? Talk to me after the draft, because the good thing about this Jets offseason is that most Jets fans are pretty aware that their 7-9 record last year was very fraudulent. They had one of the worst offenses in the league, period. Their defense was mainly sustained by run defense, which is not how you build sustainable defense year to year in the modern NFL, like they don't have any edge rushers. They don't have any great cornerback talent outside of Brian Poole, who's just a slot guy. This team in terms of talent is not great. And they just kind of got lucky with a really soft schedule last year and, and lucked into seven and nine. I mean, they, they did make a good signing with Connor McGovern, the offensive line from the Broncos. Like he is legit upgrade for this team, but everywhere else in the offensive line. Like, I I don't think they got that much better. They lost Robbie Anderson to the Panthers, who Sam Darnold had, like, a really good chemistry with by the end of the season. I just don't know 
how this offense looks markedly better in 2020 than 2019. Like maybe if they can go get a couple offensive tackles and draft a receiver, maybe that changes things, but they just didn't make up enough ground in free agency where you're not entering the draft with a ton of holes. Even though they finished seven and nine last year and, and technically like if we had the seven team playoff bracket, like they're going to implement next season, like the Jets would have been knocking on the door. But I think everyone who kind of watched that team pay attention to that team knows that that's not really a playoff contender. And they're closer to being a team that should be drafting the top five and one that's knocking the door of the playoffs. It seemed like they, they were struggling. I remember watching a couple games and Le'Veon just looked like he was just running into a brick wall every time oh, yeah. he was running into that in that offensive line. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they couldn't block at all. And that's why if the Jets spend their first two picks on offensive tackles, no one should be surprised because that's really that's really how far this offensive line has to go. And I'm someone that is still pretty optimistic about Sam Darnold. I mean, obviously not clean and shiny around the edges, but the kid has like some really serious playmaking ability when he gets a chance. But who's going to be blocking for him and who is he going to be throwing to? It's Brashad Perryman, Jameson Crowder, and... That's kind of it in terms of receivers. That's not really scaring anybody. The offensive line is still in shambles. And like we saw last year, if Le'Veon doesn't have an offensive line against him, it's, he, he's not able to just carry a running game on his shoulder. So I don't really see the signs of optimism for this offense unless Gage just kind of gets together and, and Donald takes a huge step. But they have a lot of ground to make up in the draft. Yeah, yeah. You talked about Darnold two years out. We've kind of seen a little bit of what he can do. Is he a future pro bowler in your book? I think he has a talent to be. I just don't know if it happens with the Jets. Darnold's still a really young kid. He and Lamar Jackson were two of the youngest quarterbacks ever drafted in the NFL their year. He doesn't turn 23 until early June. So I think the sky's still the limit for him. Whether it happens with the Jets, I don't know. But when I watch him play and I see him play in person, I, I know it just sounds so cliche, but like you kind of watch him play and you're like, all right, like I can see how this can work in the NFL. Like I can even see how it works like at a particularly high level. I just don't know if this is the environment for him to thrive. Yeah, I had that I had that kind of feeling when he was with USC the year after they won the Rose Bowl. Cause it seemed like he was struggling a little bit with with his turnovers, but you just you can just tell that guy has just this this it factor where if things break down, he just does something special. And I think that that can still be sustained at the NFL level. What do you think about that? The Jets offensive line was, especially by the end of the season, I mean, they were banged up too. Like like the Giants, like their offensive line was really banged up. So I asked Sam by the end of the season, like, you know, whether you want to throw your teammates on the bus or not, like you're seeing a bunch of pressure. But when you get under pressure, you just kind of seem to rise to the occasion every time. He was like, dude, dude I love playing in those situations where your hair is kind of on fire and you just kind of got to pull something out of your, that's where he thrives. And it's not, a, it's not a place where you want to be all the time, like running away from 300 pound guys that are as fast as receivers now, but he has the capability to do it. And if you can just kind of get like the down to down consistency in the offense for Darnold, like I, I, I just really see a path where he turns out to be not just a capable starter, but a good starter. You know, like I said, I don't think that Adam Gase, who has coordinated like for three years in a row or four years in a row, a bottom two offense in the NFL. I don't know. Like at some point, your track record kind of speaks for itself. And outside of the years where he was with Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning was just kind of running the show in Denver, it's not like Gase really has anything that suggests that he's this, this brilliant offensive mind. He keeps getting chances. And as long as he's there, I just don't really see how the Jets offense takes off. And like you have 
the lack of talent plus the coaching is just a bad a bad combo. Yeah, yeah. Peyton Manning will make anybody look good if you quote unquote coach him, you know? Yeah, exactly. We we see if you watch ESPN for like 30 seconds now, you see all these Peyton places commercials. And obviously, like the guy is just a, a savant. And we saw it for however many years he played. Like he is the definition of a coach on the field. So I don't really care like what you do with Peyton Manning. And like the thing about those Broncos teams, like you have Peyton Manning throwing for 55 touchdowns. Julius Thomas was in his prime. Demarius Thomas was still in his prime. Eric Decker was still playing well. Like that offense was absolutely loaded. And then, you know, after he leaves there, he gets one year with Jay Cullen in Chicago where Jay doesn't throw picks, but that's kind of just because Adam's not letting him throw the ball far at all anymore. And then now you have the past four years of just crap, really. <laughs> lightly, lightly put. So we're talking about draft needs for the Jets, and you mentioned offensive line help and more weapons for, for Darnold. Where do you see the Jets going with uh, in terms of offensive line? It's kind of like the same situation where we talked about with the Bucks a little bit earlier. The Jets draft 11th this year, and based on what we're kind of hearing leading up to the draft, even though they have the 11th pick, they might need to trade up for an offensive tackle. And it's kind of crazy that's the case. Why would anyone ever need to trade up for an offensive tackle? But like that's really how highly coveted these guys that I talked about are by the league. So I think it's imperative that they come out with more protection for Sam. And then maybe on the second day of the draft, you get a receiver. That position group is sorely lacking too. But I think the first first pick has to be an offensive line because they are just so lacking in talent on that area of the ball that you have an opportunity to draft someone who just about everyone views as a franchise cornerstone off of the tackle with the four guys that I mentioned earlier. You just kind of have to come out of the draft with one of those guys. If you want to try to keep Sam's progression going, I think that that might be more important than going out and drafting a CD Lamb or a Jerry Judy. Uh, that makes a total sense. In terms of wide receivers, if they do go that direction, who do you think that they are targeting, maybe in those mid-rounds? I think a guy like Michael Pittman, he's a receiver for USC. Like He's a big dude. I think he's 6'4", 220, but... When you watch him, he's really smooth in his routes, catches the ball easy. And he played with Darnold for one year at USC. So, you know, they already have a little bit of familiarity there. And the fit actually makes sense. Like, if you're picking him around pick 48, that's not bad value. Also, uh, Jalen Rieger from TCU, he's a big play threat that they could use. He met with them at the Combine. So I, I think that those two guys are going to be in the mix along with someone like T. Higgins from Clemson. The good thing about this receiver class is if you miss out on Lamb and Judy, at 11, then you can still come back and get a starter pretty easily in round two, because there's just a bunch of guys that can go out and really ball this year. Yeah. And thanks for that breakdown of uh, the Giants and Jets. Uh, it seems like you have everything pretty much in hand. And I honestly, they should probably listen to you <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if they want to do well in that draft. Hey, uh, look, I will gladly take their money. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a game. It's called Pro Bowl Starter or Bench. I'm going to give you three names and I want you to pick who do you think is going to be a pro bowler? Who do you think is going to be a starter and who's going to be on the bench? All uh, right. Let's start with the first three, the quarterback position, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Herbert. Oh, that's so easy. Burrow, pro bowl, Tua, starter, Herbert bench. I mean, Herbert, I don't really get it. Like the guy is big and he can throw the ball really hard and really far and it, like a lot of plays look pretty but it just doesn't look like a smooth functioning machine like it does with burrow and tua and tua is i think he's a really good prospect that the hip injury 
probably cost him going number one this year. And obviously Joe Burrow coming out and throwing 60 damn touchdowns in a single season. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like if you can get Tua like at five with the Dolphins and, and he turns out to be a baseline starter for you, that's okay with all the draft capital they have. And, and Burrow, I mean, Burrow is a little bit more than a one-year wonder to me because if you look back at like the second half of that 2018 season, uh, he was starting to pick up his play then and obviously it just exploded last year. And Burrow's weird because he's kind of playing on, yeah, like I, I like to say he's playing on rookie mode where you have these guys running wide open and you have a great offensive line, a great running game. Like every single player from that LSU offense is probably going to wind up in the NFL at some point, but he still has to be the engine for that. And if you just go back and watch the SEC championship game against Georgia and no matter what the situation is, whether the pocket's clean or there's someone in his lap, I mean, the, the ball placement and the accuracy is just effortless and, uh, yeah, he's a little bit older than maybe most quarterback prospects are, but just watch the games. I mean, the guy is unbelievably accurate, and I, I think he has legit Pro Bowl potential in the NFL. He completed almost 80% of his passes, so uh, that, that's not a wrong instinct to have. Just a little accurate, you know, just just a tiny bit. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's move on to the uh, wide receiver position. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs three, or CeeDee Lamb? I'm going to take CD to be the pro bowler, Judy to start, and Ruggs to be the bench. But it's not fair because all, I think all these guys are really good. But CD to me, is like the most equipped for the NFL level because he's a bit bigger than than Judy. Maybe he didn't weigh it much more, but like he's physically just built better to take on NFL cornerbacks. And you see the, the run after the catchability in the Big 12. Uh, I think that that's going to serve him well. Judy, like his floor to me is someone like Calvin Ridley where – the route running is so crisp that he, he can get open against just about anybody. And like, if you can get open before people even touch you, like that's, that's going to be a huge key in terms of just playing for a long time. That style of play that Judy has lends itself for playing for a really long time and being productive player for a long time. And I, I think at worst, he ends up being a very high end number two receiver and rugs Ruggs is good. I don't buy the the talk that he's the best receiver in the draft. Like I think that's kind of getting a little enamored with his speed. Honestly, I think he might be the third best receiver on Alabama last year with Judy and Devonta Smith over him. And even Jalen Waddle, he can do a lot of the same things that Ruggs does. And that's not really an indictment on Ruggs. It's just, I don't really know how you can be considered the best receiver in the draft if you were like third best receiver on your own team. And one of those guys happens to be in the draft this year. So I think that you look at guys like his size and people want to bring up Tyree kill, but Tyree kill is just such a different animal. Like Tyree kill can, he can play like a receiver that's six, four, even though he's five ten and runs a four two. Like he's a really rare player for his body type. And, and rugs isn't like that. Like rugs, when he gets the ball, he can hit the afterburners, but he's not going to go up and make a ton of contested catches. He's not going to bully cornerbacks. So I think of those three, he's my least favorite. Now we got the last one. And I, I think you're going to like this one. Deandre Swift. J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor? Uh, you know, I'm a Georgia homer, but I got to go with my pro bowler is Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Ooh. It, it, Ooh. it's just, <laughs> I know, I know. Tyler's not going to be happy with that yeah. one. <laughs> but when it comes to running backs, like the size speed combo is just so enticing. And like you watch the speed that Taylor showed the combat. I think he ran like close to a 4-3 or, or something like that. And it's on tape. I mean, the dude, once he gets the ball in his hands, is just insanely explosive. You just don't see guys that size. 
able to move that fast. Like it, it's just a freight train. And I don't know how long that style lasts, but I know I want it on my team for however many years that we can make that work. Swift is going to be my starter. I think that his game lends itself to playing the NFL a little bit longer than Taylor. Before last year's Georgia offense, you just look at how he was used by Jim Chaney in 2018. And the guy, he can go out and be like a legit slot receiver if you ask him to be that. He can run in between the tackles. He can run outside the tackles. Just a very complete player. Ran a 4-4 at the combine. I mean, there aren't really any glaring holes in this game like maybe he's not the most freak size speed combo that taylor is but like it it's all very complete and i don't even remember the last guy you said what was oh jk dobbins oh dobbins dobbins is interesting to me because you watch him at ohio state and obviously he he breaks off a lot of long runs but i kind of wonder like how consistently he's going to be able to do that in the nfl a lot of running in the NFL is you watch Lamar Jackson or, or Laven on Bell at his peak, like when they get into tight quarters where they have guys closing in on them, they can make a little cut and then explode. And that's how you kind of make explosive runs in the NFL. It's not just, you know, gargantuan holes that you saw at Ohio State or even like you saw Leonard Fournette at LSU. You kind of got to make it work a little bit. And I kind of wonder how quick are his feet how quick is he able to kind of make guys miss in tight spaces? And that's how you get to the explosive runs in the NFL. And I, I just kind of wonder how how often he's going to be able to do that. And you're not afraid of Jonathan Taylor's uh, hands. Like, they're, they're still developing. Yeah, they're still developing. But if, like I said, if I can get a guy that big, that fast, he just seems like the ultimate luxury pick for a team that's already there. Like, if the Chiefs were to pull the trigger on him and he, he's there with the 32nd pick, I know that everyone's anti-running back in the first round, but that's just such perfect icing on the cake for that offense i mean you added a battering ram that can run like a four three that would just be so much fun to watch so uh i'm in on the jonathan taylor train yeah you and a lot of people i'm sure all right charles mcdonald follow him at four verts on twitter thank you so much for coming in charles man uh it's good it's great to chop things up with you especially with the nfl all right yeah thanks for having me uh hopefully the draft runs chaotically tomorrow as they're uh, doing it all virtually Oh yeah, yeah. Let me let me ask you another question. Final question. Over under on glitches. Mm, I'm gonna go with three. Like I don't think it'll be so incompetent that like they have to stop the draft, but I do think we're gonna see a couple of hiccups, which will be funny because I don't I don't know if you watched the WNBA draft. I didn't know any player besides Sabrina and Agnescu, but <laughs> uh, you know I, I just watched the WNBA draft because it's kind of like a guideline for the NFL to do their own virtual draft. Cause that was just last Friday. So like they're dealing, they're dealing with the same thing as the NFL is. And they ran it pretty smoothly. Uh, like it ran without a hiccup. It was like a little awkward, just seeing these people celebrate with a couple of family members in their houses. Cause everyone's practicing social distancing right now. But once you get past, past the awkwardness that everyone understands, because we're all just kind of sitting at home and in, in our rooms, uh, I thought it was a pretty good product. And then the NFL comes in on Monday with their mock draft. He's like, oh, yeah, it took us 20 minutes to get one pick down. So I'm really hoping that we get a couple glitches. I'm going to set the over-under at like two or three. <laughs> I really hope it's like auto-draft rules where you have to like submit a big board before. And if you're not able to get your pick in, then you just automatically pick that guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't want it to be so bad, though, that it, that the first round lasts like five hours because they already said that they, they said that if there's technical glitches that are so bad they'll pause it so teams can get their picks in i don't want to sit here until one o'clock to watch the draft so let's just get you know two or three funny moments and then keep it moving (laughs) i will uh, talk to you later charles thanks for joining man all right thanks for having me 
Well, that does it for this podcast. Huge thanks to Charles for coming on to talk about the NFL draft and so much more. And thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Warming the Bench on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Tilt Sports. That's T-Y-L-T. And be on the lookout for other projects on the Tilt's YouTube channel. Oh, and don't forget to catch the first round of the NFL Draft tonight, April 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And check your local listings for the subsequent rounds. This is Warming the Bench with Dan Tran, signing off. Thank you.